Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. It is true that God has been good, but I'm wondering, like, if I were to ask you to try and describe in one word what 2023 was for you, I wonder what that word would be. Like, if you were being real honest and you're like, hey, how would I summarize my 2023? There'd probably be lots of words used. Some really good, some maybe benign, some maybe not so good, some wrapped in pop culture. But either way, here's what we know. No matter what you've described this last year, today is the last day of that year. Tomorrow is the first day of 2024, if you can believe it. Tomorrow's the first day. Is anybody at all excited about the first day of 2024? And we're done with 2023. Now listen, firsts matter, right? Like they do. Firsts matter. I I love the way that the author Tanya Lee says it. She says, our firsts are what make life so incredible and amazing. First days. Like, go back in time, and we look at our children, and it's their first steps. It was pretty amazing. You remember your first girlfriend or boyfriend, your first kiss. Yes, I said it in church. Your first car. Remember your first date, your first job. See, firsts matter. They, they, they just do. We remember them. And so it's in the spirit of firsts that tomorrow will be the first day of this brand new year that I wanna go back and look at a first. Now, for those of you that have been journeying with us this past year, you know that There's only two books of the Bible, really, that we went through in this last year. We went through Luke in the first half of the year, and then we went through um, Acts in the second half of the year. And if you go back to May, Steve Carter, who teaches at our Elgin campus, came and taught us about this first, it was the first miracle of Jesus, but I wanna revisit it. As we head into a new year, I think there's some application in this first, Jesus' first miracle, that um, could apply to our first day tomorrow. Now, um, the first miracle, those of you that have been around the church, you know that that first miracle that Jesus performs is at a wedding. And I don't know what your relationship with weddings are, but being a pastor, I have a long relationship with weddings. I've done quite a few in my life. And um, for a long time, to be honest with you, weddings were... One of those things that I appreciated, but, but I had this, um, I had mixed feelings about them. Let me tell you why. Um, I have three children, and uh, Chrissy and I have three children. I actually did very little to have those children. She did all the work. Um, but we have three children, and our oldest is a girl, Daly. Now, Daly is... Um, She came to us when we were quite young, and so um, the first five years of our marriage really was me, Chrissy, Daly. And if you don't know this about me, you should know I am a softie. I cry about everything, right? I cry at movies and commercials. That's just sort of my MO. I'm just sort of like, you show me a good tearjerker romantic comedy, I'm probably gonna be crying at it. So with Daly, um, it, it was pretty clear to me that the, the saddest day of my life was gonna be the day she got married. Like, that would be a day that I would weep. 
openly. And so there was a span of about 20 some years where I really would get to a wedding and I would begin to cry at the wedding even though I don't really know this person all that well and I'm sure across the way they thought that was really sweet because here's this guy crying at this wedding for this you know, person that might have been in his youth group. But the reality was I was crying because I imagined Daly walking down the aisle. That one day she walked down the aisle and fast forward to a few summers ago, Daly says she's gonna bring home um, this boy that she was dating. He, he was gonna visit us over a vacation in Florida and he shows up and I had a pretty good sense of what this was gonna be about, that this was going to be the beginning of like the march toward the saddest day of my life, um, the wedding, and it was. He asked for Daly's hand, and of course I said yes, and um, sometime later, uh, Daly had her wedding and I cried through the whole thing, and it certainly was not the saddest day of my life, but I did weep, and I thought so much about that wedding as I was preparing this week, talking about this wedding, Jesus' first miracle. Now, here's what you gotta know. If you've been to a wedding in the United States, weddings in Jesus' day, they ain't nothing like those, right? You have to commit a few hours to go to someone's wedding. You might get fed, you might have a dance, but after a few hours, you're done. In Jesus' day, that isn't how it went down. So you kinda gotta know that to appreciate what was really happening. So a wedding would start when the bridegroom, this is how the weddings would start in Jesus' day. When the bridegroom showed up at the bride's house and um, he would have his wedding crew with him, they'd show up at night and both the bridegroom and the bride were then given crowns, they were crowned for the week. The wedding ceremony would last seven days. It was a week-long wedding. The bridegroom would, that night, walk the bride back to the house and seven days of partying. So this is where we find Jesus. Now remember, what had happened in Jesus' life before the wedding. He had been baptized, then he went and spent 40 days in the wilderness, he came back, he got his disciples together, and, and honestly, you could almost see this wedding as a little bit of rest and relaxation before he does launch his ministry, okay? So he's going to this wedding, trying to be anonymous, uh, not trying to kick anything off. He's just going with his new crew that he knew what the march toward the cross was gonna look like and what it would take. So they show up at the wedding, and in John chapter two, verse one, here's what happens. It says, the next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. Now, running out of wine at a wedding is not the same as maybe having a few too short hors d'oeuvres at your wedding. It's not the same. This would be a stigma this community would remember. This is not what you do, right? I'll give you an example, maybe a modern day example. It's sort of like you don't invite people over for breakfast and not have enough bacon. You know what I'm saying? You can run out of toast, you can run out of eggs, 
You can run out of orange juice, but don't run out of bacon. And just two days ago, that's exactly what happened at the Parks House. <laughs> My wife invited um, all of the cousins and everybody was over. There were 20 people in our house and ravenous young boys. And I knew when I saw how much bacon she had bought. She had not planned well, right? Because the other thing about breakfast is you can't tell people how much bacon they can take. That doesn't work either. So there is, like, bacon is one of those things. It's a fundamental staple. I should be able to eat as much of it as I want, right? And it should never run out at breakfast. And, of course, we did. And um, while it, it was a stigma for that morning, you have to imagine in Jesus' day, running out of wine makes that look pretty small. The community would know about it. It would be... Um, on the mind of this bride and groom, they ran out of wine at this most important day. And so the Bible tells us that um, Jesus says to his mother, after she comes to him, says, hey, they've run out of wine. He says, mom, how, uh, how does this concern you and me, he asks. Like, how does this concern me that they've run out of wine? My time has not come now, when Jesus says this to his mom, this is a really important statement because Jesus knows once he kicks off the ministry, the clock is running. It's running towards that. He knows. So he says to his mom, I didn't come here to start my ministry. I came here to have a little rest and relaxation before I do kick off my ministry because once I kick it off, I can't unkick it off. It's going. But his mother, being what mothers do, ignores Jesus and just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do, and then she leaves, right? You know, on the surface, when you think about it, this really isn't the best way to kick off your ministry, really. Now, now we know what happens. Jesus then orders the servants to take some water. He changes that water into wine. This is what happens. But if you think about it, water into wine, and I'm not at all trying to undermine the miraculous here, but it's not particularly impressive, especially when you compare it to what Jesus goes on to do. Think about it for a minute. Jesus would perform almost 40 miracles that are documented in the Gospels. And I would make the argument, this is the least impressive. He heals a leper, a paralyzed man. He, he heals a blind man, he, a, a guy with a withered hand. He raises people from the dead. He heals those who are crippled. He calms stormy seas. He feeds 5,000 people with two loaves, some loaves and some fish. J Jesus does unbelievable things. He even once catches a fish with a coin in its mouth. Of all the brilliant things that Jesus said and all the amazing things that Jesus did, one can make the argument that this first miracle, this very first one that kicks off his ministry, this important first, was not a particularly grand miracle. And it wasn't a particularly grand stage. There was no teaching, no gathering, no one was paying attention to Jesus. And if you, if you, you break that down even further, the reality is, 
it was less than a grand stage, it was a really common stage. No, no, I get, you know, weddings are pretty ceremonial, but weddings, they happen all the time, right? Like 2.2 million weddings happened last year, 2.2 million. Just in the state of Illinois, that's like 50,000, 75,000, some crazy number like that. My point is this is, it's not a grand stage. Not a particularly grand miracle. Not to kick off a ministry. You know, I, I, I thought about that. And I thought about the moment. And the truth is that it's not a particularly grand stage, is it? You go to weddings all the time and you show up and you're happy for the bride and the groom, but most of the weddings that you will go to in your life will feel like, hey, we went to a wedding. And the next day, you'll wake up and you'll go on with your life. In fact, I make this case. Of all the weddings that you will attend in your life, there is only one that's very important to you. Yours, right? You don't list in your top events in your life, you know, most often other people's weddings, but you most likely do list yours. And then it sort of dawned on me. Here's Jesus in this very normal, average moment with, with something that happens that, yeah, it would be a faux pas, but honestly, for most of the people, it's an inconvenience, right? Yeah, you gotta suffer through a few more days of a wedding without wine. I'm sure that's awful. But there would be two people, two, that this would be devastating. Two. They would remember it their whole life. This moment was the most important moment and they would say, oh, wait a minute. This was a very grand stage and that was a very grand miracle because it happened to me. You know, there's a word in Greek, it's a really hard word to pronounce but I'll give it my best shot. It's the word that most often is associated with what Jesus felt when he encountered anyone who had a need. It's the word splek ni zoi mai ye. Good luck. Splek ni zoi mai ye. I'm not Greek, okay? But what I'll tell you is what it means. It's different than the word for compassion. When Jesus would encounter someone with a need, whether it was someone who had a physical ailment or someone who, whose wedding was about to be ruined, the Bible said he would feel this and it was more than just a feeling of like feeling sorry for them. So often when we think about compassion, it's like it's pity. This splechnoi, Zome, A, actually translates to have a, 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 a burning in your innermost 
bowel here. That you're so moved by compassion that it, it literally made Jesus somewhat sick. Like when we say you felt what someone else was going through, that's what Jesus felt. A literal, like, make him sick. And, and I think you have to imagine, in this moment, something happened with Jesus because in one moment, he's talking to his mother and he says, my time's not come yet. And, and I imagine that he must have caught a glimpse of those two, the bride and the groom, and something changed. Like, he felt what they would feel in this small, insignificant moment. And Jesus then does what Jesus always does. He moves toward him. He does just move toward him. I mean, Jesus does what only Jesus could do because the truth is, like on, on day three, he turns this water into wine and the masters of the ceremony come over to Jesus and they're like, or it comes over to the, 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 the mother and says, wait a minute, you're bringing out the best wine? So he doesn't just turn it into like, what's that box wine stuff? He doesn't turn it into box wine, right? Some of you are like, I know box wine. It doesn't turn it into box wine, right? He doesn't turn it into stuff that's like super cheap that you know, you, anybody can get. He goes for the, high, the, the French stuff, right? The way up there stuff, the stuff that nobody buys because who would pay that much for a bottle of wine? That's what Jesus does in this moment. Like something changes in his heart so much that he goes from one minute going, my time hasn't come, to then like putting all this unbelievable wine in front of people. And it had to have been that he felt, felt it. He's like, I can't imagine what they're gonna feel. This is what makes Jesus so amazing. Is that he makes things that to you and I seem small and insignificant important to himself. Because he didn't have to. Now, I will, I will, I will give, you a, a, give something away in this because it's pretty awesome. In, in John 2.1, we shouldn't be surprised that he actually ended up acting because in John 2.1, it says this. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place. Now listen, anytime, I'm gonna teach you a little Bible. Anytime you begin to study scripture, you start realizing something always is happening on the third day, right? When you read third day, something's about to happen. Now, the biggest thing that happens on the third day the Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, for what I received I passed on to you as of the first importance that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day. But, but go back to the Old Testament. Genesis 42, 18. Joseph's brother get put in prison. They're released on the third day. If you go to Joshua 2, 1, 2 16, the Israelite spy are told by Rahab to hide for how long? Three days. Esther 5.1, she fasts and prays for three days. Genesis 22.4, Abraham is afraid he's gonna have to sacrifice his son. It's on the third day. Stuff's always happening on the third day, right? God's always doing miracles on the third day. And on this third day, Jesus, moved by compassion, 
felt what a lot of people would say is not a big deal. He felt what those two would have felt and he acted. So why does this matter? Why does this matter to me and to you as we enter into the first day of 2024? Why does it matter? Because this first miracle says something that I think is really important and fundamentally true about the God that we serve. Yes, he is the same God. That's one of my favorite songs we sing around here, same God. And so often when we think about the same God, we, we look at the miracles that he does, right? He parts the Red Sea, these grand gestures, these massive things that only God can do. And he is that same God that came and rescued Esther and her people, that rescued Abraham and his son split a Red Sea in half so that the Israelites could move through on dry ground. He is that God, but he is also the same God that in his very first miracle saw an average, ordinary couple going through something that seemed average and ordinary, and he did something. Did you see that this is who God is. That tomorrow when you wake up and you think, yeah, God's not all that interested in the stuff that I'm doing because a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, it, it isn't that big a deal. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. I'm gonna brush my teeth and then I'm gonna, well, go to work and, and drop off the kids at school or go to lunch. And most of my life is just sort of pretty normal and pretty average and I'm not so sure that God's that interested in my average, ordinary life. And if it's true, that first say something to us, then this first miracle says just the opposite of that. That this God of the universe that is big enough to split a sea is also interested in little old you and me. He's interested in me and the stuff that I'm going through and the things that, the problems that I have. And, and honestly, it hit me because like, as a pastor, I'm supposed to have all this stuff figured out, right? Because I give my best hours of my day to this. But over the last two weeks, uh, about two months ago, I got super, super sick and um, I've been really sick for like two months and um, went on a flight. Something happened to my ear and I can't hear out of my left ear. I haven't been able to hear out of it for like uh, two months. And so if I'm talking really, really loud, it's because I can't hear out of my left ear. And I've been sort of like in my head for the last like two, two weeks. And I'm sure it's gonna be fine. Doctor's gonna look at it, whatever. But I've been embarrassed to talk about it because I'm like, well... <laughs> It's probably fluid on my ear and it's not that big a deal. I haven't prayed about it one time. I hadn't really asked God to intervene at all because I'm like, well, it's just not that big a deal. It's, there's people who have real problems and cancer and real diagnosis. And you know, I think this is the, one of the greatest tricks the enemy uses to keep us from connecting with God on just normal everyday stuff. He convinces us like, your stuff isn't that big a deal. There's other people who have bigger deals. 
He's not interested in your little tiny ear problem. When you get a bigger problem, talk to God, right? And then we live our lives apart from him, right? We only talk to him when we have big problems. When, when God was like, oh no, don't you see in the very first miracle, I was trying to set the stage for you walking with me on all this stuff. Your little ear problems, your big ear problems. Your little money problems, your big money problems. Your little normal life stuff, your big, big problem life stuff, all of it. I'm in for all of it. This is who our God is. A God that cares about little old you and me. And I wonder as we head into 2024 if maybe, maybe we need to invite him into the little old things of our lives. And talk to him about the little old things in my life. If, if this first miracle says something about this Jesus that we follow, the thing it says loud and clear is he cares about the littlest things in our lives. He cares about the little things in your life. And he wants to know about them. Will you stand with me? You know, the reality is, is the Bible tells us that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus, yes, to die for our sins, to give us heaven forever. But he also, through the power of his Holy Spirit, gives us access to him right now. In our average, ordinary, drive-to-work sort of days, like we get to walk with him. And the question is, like, in 2024, what would it look like if we tried to invite him more into our average, ordinary lives a bit more? Like a bit more. Like praying for the things that seem maybe not that big and seem really small and how would he be interested in this when we've got wars and earthquakes and yet his first miracle says to me that he does care about those things in your life would you invite him in and let me say if you don't know him and you haven't taking a step to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, gosh, what a great day to do it. What, what a great way to start 2024 where you ask the God of the universe who's really interested in little old you to walk with you this year. I mean, maybe 2024, maybe 2024 when I ask you next year to describe it in one word, you would describe it in very different terms just by having the God of the universe as, as your buddy, as your friend. If you haven't taken that step of faith, I invite you to do it. It's pretty simple. You just ask him to be your Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins and commit to following him with your life. Fresh starts, fresh starts abound. And maybe you've messed it up and you haven't followed well, well, fresh starts about. Let's make 2024 a year that we draw close in all things to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray for my friends that you would give us the wherewithal 
not just to pray for the big things, but to invite you into the small things of our lives, into the average, ordinary, mundane things of our lives, knowing that ultimately you do care and you are interested. That's what friends do. And we know that you are a friend to us and that we get to be called a friend of God. Walk with us this year. Pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people say.